0: good morning calvary family it's still morning right (laughs) hallelujah today's scripture comes from second corinthians chapter 7 verse 2 through 4. it's found in page 967 All right, make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness toward you I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. And in all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Thanks, Naomi. Good morning, everybody. All right, before we get started, I have a little mini family chat. Uh, if this was, if I had the stool, it would be a major family chat. This is a mini family chat. I just got two quick things I want to uh, mention before I get into the sermon uh, here this morning. And first is uh, Pastor Greg. Uh, I don't know if he mentioned this or not, but he and Pastor Johnny are flying to uh, Ethiopia tomorrow for a week, and they're going to be working with some Ethiopian pastors and Somalian pastors and doing some theological training. Uh, uh, Johnny will be doing some teaching on the gospel and Pastor Craig will be doing uh, some worship leading and teaching on leading worship. So remember them in your prayers this week, and we'll look forward to having them be back with us. I don't think they'll be back yet by next Sunday, but uh, shortly after, be able to uh, share with us about how the Lord is working with them. So be praying for them uh, throughout the week. And then the second thing I wanted to mention as well is uh, we passed these out a number of weeks ago, these kind of summer plans at Calvary. Hopefully you've got one of these. If you didn't get your magnet, uh, you can grab them on the, the desks here as you uh, leave and hang them up on your fridge. But um, I want to just say a word about our summer plans at Calvary. Uh, Pastor Greg didn't mention these at the beginning, but uh, we've intentionally, uh, we're, we're intentionally following many of the Oak Park activities uh, this summer uh, for Calvary activities. And the reason behind that isn't just because we, were, we didn't want to have to plan things, and so we let Oak Park plan things for us. Uh, But instead, we wanted to find ways to get our congregation and our community of faith out into the community in ways that would allow us to build relationships and bridges where gospel uh, fruit could be uh, sown. And uh, so if you um, uh, were planning to go tonight, that's fantastic. But I just want to underscore that the point of that isn't just because we think these will be fun concerts in the park. Hopefully, they will be that. Uh, But we're also really hoping and praying that you would show up, that you would invite a neighbor or a friend who doesn't come to Calvary to go you to a neutral place uh, here in Oak Park and get connected to some other uh, Calvary uh, uh, congregants or friends and build some relationships outside of the walls of Calvary so that maybe at some point it would be natural and appropriate for you to invite them into church, and that would make that easier. So let me encourage you uh, to... to to hit some of these events. You don't have to get to all of them. I'm not going to be able to be there tonight. We've got a family birthday party thing that we're going to be at. But let me encourage you to, to come to some of these and to invite a non-Calvary uh, friend or family who lives in the area to come with you and to meet some Calvary folk and to use that as an opportunity for sort of a soft evangelism, as it were, uh, to develop some relationships and then bring people uh, to Calvary. So. Uh, Make use of those. All right, so into our our text this morning. So for the past number of weeks, we've been focusing on the ministry of reconciliation. And I've been describing the ministry of reconciliation as a sort of golden chain of discipleship that begins with God the Father, it's passed to Jesus the Son, onto the apostles, onto the church, and then out into the world. And of course, you and I, as members of Jesus's church and recipients of this ministry of reconciliation, then are part of this golden chain of discipleship that passes it out into the world uh, to the others. We're extending this golden chain. And the reason I keep talking about or describing this this uh, ministry of reconciliation as a golden chain is because I want us to always remember that everything that we have to give to the world, all the Uh, the responsibility that we have to be ministers of reconciliation, all of that is coming to us first from God. We have nothing in ourselves to give to the world except that we have first received it from God. St. Augustine, he once prayed, give what you command and then command what you will. And what he meant was that as long as God would give him what God was commanding of him, then God could command anything. And I think that's a good thing, an important thing to keep in mind as we engage in the ministry of reconciliation, right? that we are extending out into the world what God has given to us. So last week, we began looking at Paul as an example of an open-hearted minister of reconciliation, one who had expanded his heart, was expanding his heart to the Corinthians. And we looked at that. At Paul's example, to help us understand God's own open-heartedness towards us, his expanded heart towards us, and also to help us understand what it might look like for us to expand or to open our hearts out into the world. So in the sermon last week, I encouraged you to think of someone that maybe you struggle to be open-hearted towards. I want to invite you to bring that person back to your mind. You thought that you were done with them. So that was like a one-day project or a one-week project. No, they're back again uh, in your mind. And I'm going to double down, though, and invite you to think of a second person. And you're already like, one person was hard enough, now i got to think of two people. But let me invite you to think of a non-Christian and a Christian, two people that you feel like the Lord is directing you to be open-hearted towards. Because the ministry of reconciliation is fundamentally the ministry of discipleship. And discipleship is directed towards Christians and non-Christians. We're all working to become disciples and then better disciples of Jesus. And so we all have a part to play in the lives of others. So think about and hold in your mind two people that you think that the Lord is, or that you're sensing that the Lord is calling you to be open-hearted towards, a Christian and a non-Christian. And then keep in mind as well as we move through this sermon, St. Augustine's Prayer, because it's only as we grow in our ability to receive God's open-heartedness towards us that we have anything to give in terms of open-heartedness towards others. All right, our text this morning, which has been read for us, is 7.2 through 4. And Paul begins making his point about open-heartedness in 6.11 and 13, which we looked at last week. Then there's a segue or a digression from 6.14 through 7.1, where Paul talks about not being equally unequally yoked. And then he comes back to this theme of open-heartedness in 7 verse 2, and that's where we're picking up this morning. And I see two principles in these verses that I want to grab hold of on open-heartedness. I think we'll get to two more principles on open-heartedness next week. But two principles this morning about being an open-hearted disciple-maker in these verses. So here's our first principle. Open-hearted discipleship means demonstrating God's open-heartedness with our own open-heartedness. Open-hearted discipleship means demonstrating God's open-heartedness with our own open-heartedness. So in 7 verse 2, Paul calls for the Corinthians to make room in their hearts for him, which is just another way of saying, open your hearts to me. Paul affirmed, back up in 6.11-13, he affirmed his enlarged heart or his wide-open heart towards the Corinthians, and now he's asking them to have the same heart back to him here in 7.2. And as he asks them to make room in their hearts for him, he insists, he reminds them that he has wronged no one, he's corrupted no one, and he has taken advantage of no one. Basically, what he's saying is, my dear children, there's no reason for you to keep me at arm's length. There's no reason for you to close off your heart to me. I've only ever done right by you. You've seen and been recipients of my love. Or we could say it like this, Paul is demonstrating his open-heartedness prior to asking for their open-heartedness in return. And we can see the sensibleness of this when we put it in the framework of parents and children. If you remember from last week, look up here in verse 13, Paul is using the framework of parent and child in his relationship with the Corinthians. All right, Paul is the spiritual father to the Corinthians who are the spiritual children. And so we can think about this and see Paul's principle worked out most clearly in parent-children relationship. But in parent-children relationship or adult caregivers to children, parents have the responsibility to demonstrate to children that they are worthy of being trusted before they insist upon being trusted in return. And this is especially true with foster children. Some of you are foster parents. It's true with adopted children and children that otherwise come from difficult or hard places. The world is a scary or can be a scary and dangerous place for children. And to demand that traumatized children open their hearts to an adult without the adult first demonstrating his or her goodwill, that's not safe for a child, and that's not good caregiving. So in the context of past trauma, It's only when an adult caregiver has first demonstrated goodwill towards a child that the child is even able to trust the adult caregiver enough to open his or her heart in return. And that basic framework is informing Paul's ongoing relationship with the Corinthians. Paul has spiritually adopted the Corinthians, as it were. He came to Corinth and he found them living on the street, so to speak traumatized by sin, living outside the household of faith, without God and without hope in the world. They were the orphans. Even though Paul's coming to Corinth and he doesn't know anyone, he has the whole household of faith that he's living in. And he sees these Corinthians living as orphans outside the household of faith. And he adopts them and he brings them in and he takes them in and he shows his love to them and he shared his life with them and the hope of the gospel with them and he became a spiritual father to them. And he demonstrated his open-heartedness towards them before he asked for their open-heartedness in return. Now sometimes parents or other caregivers, we can get dug in and proud and we, we can issue commands that we expect to be obeyed, simply because we're the parent or because we're the adult in the room and because in our position of authority, we deserve it. And maybe we do deserve it. But so did Paul. And so does Jesus. But Jesus doesn't just walk into the room and demand our trust, even though he has the right to do so. Jesus first demonstrated his love for us his open-heartedness towards us before He asks us to trust Him in return. Sin has come into the world through our own blunders and has traumatized us. And it makes us fearful. It makes us untrusting. It makes us suspicious. It makes us closed-hearted. And so Jesus comes into the world and He meets us in our fear fear. And in our doubt, in our close-heartedness, and he works humbly at great cost to himself to earn our love and our trust. And he does it by demonstrating his open-heartedness first. And we can see the demonstration of his open-heartedness all throughout Jesus' earthly ministry. We can see it in the upper room right before his crucifixion when he took took up the basin and the towel and he washed the feet of the disciples. He wanted them to see his open-hearted servant posture towards them. But we can see it most clearly in the cross, as Paul says in Romans 5.8, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God came and he demonstrated his open heart to us so that we could open our hearts to him. The message of the gospel is inherently a challenge, but not only in terms of content. I mean, the the gospel does ask us to believe and affirm some miraculous things. The idea that a man who was crucified and dead and buried for three days rose bodily from the dead. That's a hard thing intellectually to arrive at just naturally without any thought of the miraculous, right? But... But the gospel isn't hard just in terms of the intellectual challenge, but even more so in terms of the relational challenge because God in the gospel isn't just simply asking us to believe some things. The invitation of the gospel is the invitation to give up our whole selves to God, to make room in our hearts for God. And the invitation to give up our whole life to God was preceded by God's demonstration of Him giving up His whole life for us. He demonstrated His open-heartedness to us before He asked of us open-heartedness in return. He only asks for our life after He has given us His life. And that's where you and I come as ministers, come in as ministers of reconciliation and heralds of the gospel. Because in the proclamation of the gospel and in our lives, we are to demonstrate with our open-heartedness, God's own open-heartedness. All right, so now consider these two people that you have in your mind. First, thinking of the non-Christian. In what way or ways is God calling you to demonstrate his open-heartedness towards that person Maybe you don't have much of a relationship with that person yet. Maybe the Lord has put someone on your mind, neighbor at the corner of the block, and you haven't even really spoken to them. So so maybe it's going to take shape in different ways. Maybe it's just going to start with a simple or friendly smile or hello or how are you. Just a simple way to establish an open-hearted relationship. Or maybe you already have a relationship with this person. Maybe it's your next-door neighbor that you know well or someone that you work with or a friend from school. So maybe it's going to look different. Maybe it's going to be more intimate. Maybe it would be an invitation to dinner or to hang out or helping to meet some particular need that you know that they have. In any case, let me encourage you to pray about how you can demonstrate God's open-heartedness towards that person. Because if God has put someone on your heart, someone in your life that He is open-hearted towards, He is likely going to ask you, as a link in the chain, the golden chain of discipleship, to demonstrate His open-heartedness to that person through your own open-heartedness. So don't just settle for a posture of open-heartedness. I think many of us can do that. We just sort of inhabit our space as nice, open-hearted people. But God didn't just stay up in heaven as an open-hearted person. He came down and demonstrated his open-heartedness. So how do we demonstrate the open-heartedness of God? Invariably, it will involve us demonstrating God's open-heartedness through our own open-heartedness. All right, now think about that Christian. Maybe this is the person that you are in relationship with that you struggle to be open-hearted towards. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a fellow congregant, maybe it's your pastor. And Pastor Johnny is hard to work with, and I know. I know that, right? So um, Let me encourage you to prayerfully think along the same lines. Are there things you can or should be doing proactively to demonstrate? God's open heartedness towards that person. Are there any words that God is asking you to say or actions that He is asking you to take that will make it clear that God has an open heart towards that person? Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a text. Maybe it's an encouraging email. Maybe it's a lunch invitation. Every relationship is different. And so what it looks like to be open-hearted towards a difficult child might take a different shape. It will take a different shape than what it looks like to be open-hearted towards a difficult aging parent or a sibling or a friend. But let me encourage you to open your own heart to the Lord's open heart. Open your heart to His open heart for you and then pray that the Lord will direct you about how best to demonstrate that same open heart towards that person. And always remember that the love with which you are called to love that person is not your own love, it's God's own love. We are demonstrating His open heartedness through our open heartedness. So now maybe you might say, But I don't have any love in my heart for that person. To which I think God would respond, That's okay. I do. Love them with my love. You don't have to love them with your love. Your love doesn't accomplish anything anyway. Your love is just the natural love. It's fine as far as it goes, but there's nothing miraculous or supernatural about it. You have to love them with my love. So if you don't have any love in your heart for this person that you should be open-hearted with, don't despair of that. Just love them with God's love. Think about what would God do with this person? What would God say to this person? How would God act or treat this person? And then put on your Jesus mask and act that out, right? And as you wear the Jesus mask long enough, eventually your own heart starts to conform to Jesus' heart, and his heart for that person does become your heart for that person. So this first principle about open-hearted discipleship is that we need to demonstrate God's open-heartedness through our open-heartedness. All right, the second point about open-hearted discipleship is this. Being open-hearted means confronting without condemning. Confronting without condemning. We can see this point if we draw together verse 3 and the beginning of verse 4. In verse 3, immediately after reminding the Corinthians about how Paul has consistently demonstrated his open-heartedness, which is God's open-heartedness to them, Paul says... I do not say this to condemn you. Now, why might Paul have worried that his words would leave the Corinthians feeling condemned? Well, I think all of us have been in relationships or have been in a spot where someone might say, I did this for you, and I did this for you, and after all I've done for you, right? You know, and and what's implied in that is that because they've done stuff for us, we owe them something. And then even further, that if we don't pay what we owe them, we're going to be in breach of relational contract, and we're going to be guilty, condemned, of not having held up our end of the bargain. So Paul wants to make it clear that he's not reminding the Corinthians of what he's done for them, that he's demonstrated his love for them because he's trying to sort of leverage, put leverage over them or get something out of them. He goes on to say that that he loves them, that he holds them in his heart to, to die and to live together. Fundamentally, he's not trying to hold something over on them. He's trying to communicate his love for them. He's seeking their good, not his. All right, now hold that thought. Paul is not condemning the Corinthians. And then let's look at verse 4, because in verse 4, Paul says, I am acting with great boldness towards you. Literally, the text reads, much is my boldness toward you. The expression boldness comes from the Greek term "paresia," and it doesn't necessarily mean boldness, somewhat does, but it doesn't mean boldness in all the ways we think of the English term boldness. So when we think of the English term boldness, we think of boldness as loud, aggressive, perhaps, a bit in your face. I once read a story of an old fundamentalist Baptist preacher who wrote in the margins of his note, weak point, shout like hell. So you get to that place, you know, don't know what to do, you don't, you don't have a really good point, just start shouting. And as long as you're shouting, they'll, they won't know that you do have nothing to say, right? <laughs> But shouting like hell is not parasia Parasia more simply means openness, frankness, confidence. You don't have to be all up in someone's face to be paresia towards them. It just means you say something openly with confidence. Not beating around the bush or hemming and hawing or blustering or acting like you've got something to say when you really don't. Right? That's not... Paracia. And I think it's this idea of openness in the word parasia that prompts Paul to use the term here. Now, verse 4 doesn't have a verb. So our translation reads, I am acting with great parasia toward you. Some translations read, I am speaking with great parasia towards you. And both translations are fine, but I like this translation that refers to speech because I think Paul's point in verse 4 is that in his writing, what he is currently doing as he writes to the Corinthians, that is him speaking in the letter with great boldness or parasia towards the Corinthians. All right, now let's pull these two threads together. Sometimes the people that we are discipling or whom we're sharing the gospel with need to hear a frank word of rebuke. And the gospel invariably comes with a rebuke. Namely, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The gospel inherently conveys the message that we are all sinners in need of grace. And as ministers of reconciliation, we will at some point, like Paul is here doing with the Corinthians, have to speak a word of rebuke. But if we deliver the rebuke of the gospel in a non parasia manner, in a closed-hearted way, it will invariably come across as condemnation. So think about the last time that you had to say a hard word to someone. Maybe it was an appropriate hard word or maybe you were in the middle of a fight and it just kind of came out of you. But think about the last time you said a hard word to someone, a critique to someone, a rebuke about the gospel or otherwise. Isn't it the case that most of us, when we have to say a hard word to someone, reflexively tense up before we say it. When we get ready to rebuke someone or criticize someone, we reflexively close up and we brace for impact because we anticipate that our hard word will not be received well. And we want to prepare ourselves protect ourselves from the blowback. And so we shutter up our heart and we batten down the hatches as we get ready to deliver the word of rebuke. But invariably, if we close our heart in order to deliver a rebuke, we are not speaking with parasia. We are not being open-hearted. And our rebuke is going to land like condemnation. And I think to again stay with the parent child metaphor that kind of undergirds a lot of Paul's way of thinking uh, about his relationship with the Corinthians. I think the parent child metaphor is very helpful for seeing and making this point. So many of us are parents, some of us are not, but all of us have had parents, right? And we can think about the parent child relationship. Right? And when I think back on my parenting from years ago, I can see that too many times when I delivered my paternal rebuke, I didn't do it with a sufficiently open heart. And I, I, I kind of steeled myself up, whether in frustration or anger, right? And I delivered the rebuke from a closed and shuttered off heart. And invariably, when I did that, or when your parents have done that to you, or when you do it to your children, it lands like condemnation. I think we've all felt what it's like to be given a rebuke that didn't come from an open heart. It comes like condemnation. But maybe you've had the privilege of being rebuked by an open-hearted person. And it doesn't land like condemnation. It's not something we like to hear. Maybe we don't want to receive it. But it's not condemnation. Even beyond parenting, I think we can see this in the way that we interact with each other. When we bring rebukes to each other in an open-hearted way, it's so much more likely to be received well than when we bring rebukes to each other in a closed-hearted way. So Paul, yes, is rebuking the Corinthians. Yes, he is critiquing the Corinthians. But he's not condemning the Corinthians because he's making his critique in an open-hearted way. He has his heart open. Open and unshuttered, and his love is flowing freely in his rebuke. He has not withdrawn his love from the Corinthians, even as he delivers the rebuke. And where has Paul learned this? Well, he has learned it up the chain, so to speak, in this golden chain of relationship. This is God's posture towards the world. So as John says in John 3:17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So the gospel is not the story of how God stood with his arms crossed and his heart shuttered up in heaven, self-protectively rebuking us from afar, and only after we have repented does he then move towards us with an open heart of love. Rather, the gospel is the story of how God stands with open arms and an open heart, calling us to repent of our sins, our false hopes for salvation, but all from a posture of love and inviting us to walk into his presently open heart of love for us. And I think it's so important that we consider this or keep this in mind as we think about the ministry of reconciliation, because it's not our place as the people of God to preach a message of condemnation. Yes, at times we will need to deliver the rebuke that's inherent to the gospel, but we need to do so with parasia and with an open-hearted posture, lest it comes across as condemnation. And too often... The culture looks at the rebuke that Christians bring to it, and sometimes unfairly, but sometimes not unfairly. That we just stand on the perimeter, on the edges, and we lob our rebukes into the center, critiques, but that we do it from a closed-hearted posture. And when we rebuke the culture from a closed-hearted posture, invariably that lands on the culture like judgment, like condemnation. And there isn't going to be an ability or an ease with which the congregation, with which the culture can respond to that rebuke. I was thinking about this even as we were uh, going through our liturgy this morning, and we sang about the love of God. And then, in the midst of singing about the love of God, we had our prayer of confession and an opportunity to confess. And I think that's so right and appropriate because we confess our sins into the love of God. We don't confess our sins into the condemnation of God because there's no hope in condemnation. But God invites us to confess into his open arms of love. If we preach a gospel of condemnation and we exhort people to confess their sins into a gospel of condemnation, it won't be effective because people run from condemnation. You and I, we run from condemnation. Paul tells us in Romans 2, I think it's in 13, that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's because God has demonstrated his love for us. It's because God has an open heart, an open-hearted posture towards us that we can repent. We have to repent into his love. So now let me apply this here to our two people. Think about your non-Christian friend. When it comes time to speak the gospel to your friend, which inevitably, if you are going to uh, minister the gospel fully to your friend, you have to speak the gospel, and that will mean you're going to have to speak the gospel's rebuke. It's so important that you do it with a posture, with a, with a voice of parasia, with an open heart. Otherwise, it's going to come across as condemning. We don't need to be embarrassed about the gospel. We don't need to huff and puff about the gospel. We don't need to hem and haw about the gospel. We just need to speak the whole gospel with openness and plainness and sincerity and with an open heart of love that correctly reflects God's open-hearted posture towards the world. And now think of your your Christian friend. Perhaps this is the person that you struggle to be open-hearted towards. Perhaps you struggle to be open-hearted towards them because they're doing something inappropriate. Maybe it's not just a personality like rub You see what they're doing and that bothers you. And you feel yourself kind of wanting to close off in judgment towards them. Maybe they're even doing the thing to you, which makes it even harder. Being open-hearted towards them doesn't mean that you don't ever call them out on their sin. Maybe God has put you in their life specifically for that part of their discipleship because they need to be called out on that. It's not helping them move forward in joy and love and life. And so you're in their life to call them out on that sin. But if you call them out on their, on their sin, you need to do it from a posture of open-heartedness. Don't shutter up your heart and then launch your rebuke. That will invariably come across as a condemning attack. Yes. The person, if you give a genuine open-hearted rebuke, may not respond well. And yes, they might give you pushback and blowback in which you will get hurt. But God's grace is sufficient. And he he always gives what he commands. And if the Lord is calling you to rebuke someone with an open heart, not a closed heart. You can open heart it's only because he has first given you a rebuke with an open heart. He loves you. He's not out to get you. He's not a perfectionist. He's not angry all the time. He's not impossible to please. And when we go astray, he doesn't point out every single fault, thank God. Sometimes he does have to come and point things out to us, but he always does it from posture of love. And so you too, as you follow into this ministry of reconciliation, and bring a gospel rebuke where it's needed. do so out of a same posture of open heartedness. all right, in conclusion here, I'm thinking about yesterday uh speaking of in conclusion, I was taking mele somewhere and we got talking about she asked a question, and I started giving her like a long theological answer and uh it was brilliant, but, you know, I'm going on. And um, I'm, like, probably five minutes in, and she got pretty quiet, and I just said, do you, understand what I'm, do you understand what I'm saying? And she said, I understand what you're saying. I was just wondering when you were going to be done talking. <laughs> so maybe, kids, some of you are thinking the same thing, and I'm almost done talking, so just <laughs> hang in there. This is the conclusion, all right? Hopefully you, too, are understanding what I'm saying. Maybe some of you this morning have had the wrong picture about God. Social scientists and theologians, each in their own different ways, have both observed that our views about God are most often shaped by our parents. Perhaps your parents did not give you an accurate view of God. Maybe your father was stern and angry And when he would rebuke you, he would close off his heart, right? And so his rebukes always came like condemnation. Maybe your mother was a perfectionist and stern and angry. And when she would rebuke you, she would close off her heart and her rebukes would land like judgment. And so you've tended to think about God in that same way. As long as you're behaving yourself and doing right and living right, you think he's happy with you, but then when you mess up, you imagine that he closes his heart off towards you and that you're going to have to go repent and grovel a little bit and show some real contrition before he's going to reopen his heart to you. But that's not actually who God is. God has demonstrated his open-heartedness towards us that even while we were yet sinners, He gave himself fully in his son for us. So his heart is always open to you. So if you are struggling to come to God, don't hold back because you think that somehow you have to crawl up the church steps on your knees like Martin Luther thought until he discovered the gospel of grace. God's grace is open to you. He longs for you to come in and he is not making you work to get his open-heartedness. His open-heartedness is there already to invite your open-heartedness in response. It is in Romans 2, 4, not 13, that Paul tells us that God's kindness leads us to repentance. Jesus tells us the story of the prodigal son because he wants us to understand that God watches down the road for us to come home. And as soon as we come home, he runs out to greet us. He has a party for us. So yes, you do need to repent. And yes, you do maybe need to be rebuked. And yes, you are living your life perhaps in ways that are not bringing joy and happiness and need to stop. But when God calls you to repent, he's calling you from a posture of love. And his call to repentance always comes from his open heart. So we're going to close uh, with a song now that reminds us all about the posture of God's open-heartedness towards us. And maybe this morning, you've never opened your heart to God's open-heartedness. You never really, truly opened your heart to God. Maybe this song, receive it as an invitation from the Lord to now, in this moment, yield and to open your heart To God, That's what becoming a Christian is. And then the whole Christian life follows, is this moment when in faith we receive God's open-heartedness as a free gift that we don't have to work for, we don't have to earn, we just receive it in faith and with gratitude. In this moment, in this song, maybe that's something between you and the Lord that needs to happen. Let me pray for us. God, thank you. Thank you that you have given us this open-hearted posture in Christ. And I think, Lord, of folks here this morning, all of us struggling at various points to stay open-hearted, to be open-hearted, but before we too quickly run down thinking about what you've commanded of us, Lord, I pray that you would help us to think about what you've given to us. You've given us your open-heartedness. When we struggle to find the ability to follow your commands, help us to just run back and think about what you've given to us to receive more of your open-heartedness. Lord, I pray that you, would, that you would help us to demonstrate your open-heartedness to others then. And I pray that you would help us to do so in ways that don't come across as condemning or judgmental. And if there are any here this morning that have not yet received your open-heartedness, Lord, I pray that in faith, they would open up their hearts and make room in their hearts for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.